Welcome to our new podcast, The Anku. I'm Yanling. And I'm Sean. And usually on our usual freelance creative exchange podcast, we talk to professionals about how to supercharge their freelance careers. But after speaking to so many people, we were thinking, how did they get so cool? I mean, in order to achieve their successes and fame, they must have been pretty uncool at a certain point. No matter what kind of successes they have, we get our guests to dish out all the awkward moments that led them to where they are now. Some are even putting the cool in uncool jobs. So let's go talk to the uncools. You know, Yanling, directing is actually a very, very, very simple job. Yeah, right. All you have to say is can or cannot. Okay, you, you try. Mm. Extra is enough. Enough. Uh, lipstick, can? Can. You Should it be red? Yes. Can Should it be green? No. no. There you go, Yanling. You're a director. <laughs> and that is something our next guest does very well. Our next guest is the Pastor Pastana 2021 winner for Best Director, Mafus. And he's going to be talking about how it's like to direct the first Singaporean drama to ever shoot in New York City in the dead of winter, no less. So let's find out from Mafus why he is uncool. Okay, so this is Mafus, the man with the most dramatic beard I've ever seen in my life. So how long did it take for you to go this beard anyway? It wasn't part of the question. Uh, okay, <laughs> I answer you, I humor you. It took maybe about a year and a half. I was filming at that time. It was overseas. And initially it grew because I was too busy. And then after a while, when I got home after the whole shoot, it was about a month plus. And then it, I thought it kind of looked quite cool. And then you looked in the then mirror and it's like, I, what is this? Then I just left it and then that, we that, got this. Uh. That is some serious commitment. <laughs> <laughs> serious so, commitment not to do anything. <laughs> That's how lazy I am. So you recently won uh, the Pesta Pradana 2021 for mm-hmm. a series called Kutus. Yes. So tell us what led you to this point. What made you who you are today and how do you become so cool? Yeah, I don't think I'm cool still. I think the story that I did is cool. There's a difference. But the beard, but come on. The, the, the beard is obviously cool. Like, come on, man. <laughs> basically, if you, if you look at Kutus, it's basically a family drama. It's about mm. how a father... Uh, has issues with the son mm. and how her father is worried about losing his daughter because the daughter is overseas and she's joined a cult but I just decided you know this could happen in Singapore but why not make it in New York you know why not freeze my ass off in the cold you know it was minus 38 oh yes you know but yeah because we wanted to push ourselves and I know that my producer had family in, in New York oh okay so I was like like I remember I drove my car to his car park. I said, you come down now, I want to talk to you. And then in the car, I told him, okay, I have this crazy idea. I'm going to film this story about a girl who's studying in the US and somehow she got involved in a cult. And the brother from Singapore flies to New York and searches for her in upstate New York. And then his response, I still remember to this day, clear as day was, huh? <laughs> Are you serious? Ah? And he thought, uh, long and hard and I explained to him I was like you know can it can work you know it's the same as filming in Singapore it's just gonna be much tougher much colder um, but everything else is the same and eventually he kind of like bought into the idea because filming overseas is not new but a lot of people choose to film over, when they do filming overseas it's usually love stories and love stories are easy to do you know you 
plant your camera there behind a nice backdrop, something foreign, and then you have two people walking hand in hand, done. Mm. You know, they have dialogue, done. It's easy. To do a thriller in New York where you have to run around the alleys, mm. you know, I basically made them search for a house with a fire escape. I made them look for a barn in upstate New York. And I think this goes back to your 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 point being, how cool would it be if let's say we shot this guy running in the snow, freezing, trying, being chased by a cult. How cool would that be? It was like, pretty damn cool. Huh? And that's why we decided to do it. It was a real story. At that time, there was this thing that's happening. It's called Nexium. I don't know whether you know it. N-X-I-V-M. It's the cult where the this actress from Supergirl, Alison Mack, she was involved in. There was Kristen Kriuk. There was this cult that was uh, going on uh, where they had women. And uh, these women uh, happened to be like, you know, uh, rich, high-profile actresses and all that. And then everyone joined the group as a kind of like a self-improvement thing. Mm. Uh, but actually, it turned out to be like a sex cult of sorts, you know, uh, controlled by this guy. I cannot remember his name, but the, the cult name is Nexium. And Nexium was happening in Albany, which is like where we filmed at, one hour away, not that far away. So I was, I was reading that and then I was doing a bit of research about the cults and it was upstate New York and this and that. Then I remember next year, upstate New York, then I remember, oh, my producer is Kanda. He has family in New York. Mm. Yeah. Like two and two together. So I was like, huh, maybe I can create a story from that. And actually, I do know of, uh, I don't know whether it's true. I heard some people say that uh, the the reach for Nexium is actually not just a, in New York mm -hmm. with Americans. But it was kind of worldwide. Some of the actresses uh, here even knew about Nexium or knew someone, knew of someone who was in the group. Basically, is that basically there's a, like a six degree of separation between you know, whatever people that I know in New York, in Singapore, and that cult in New York, which was amazing. Wow. So that was when I decided to like, okay, let's just chart this whole story out and see where it goes. And then from there, I went to the car park and you know that story. La. It's actually like the first thriller shot in New York, right? I mean, for Singapore production, in, in any language. Yeah, in any language, I, I believe so, yes. And in the dead of winter. In the dead of winter. We weren't expecting it to be that cold, in all honesty. It was How cold was it? Okay, initially we were supposed to film in, uh, in November, yeah. and it wasn't, uh, it's not that cold. It's the beginning of winter. It's still cold, but it's not that bad. But there were some delays, and we couldn't film in December because it's, Christmas, we couldn't get actors then, and then everyone's back with their families. So we had to film in January, which is, the locals say it's a stupid time to do filming. Even the locals don't do that, because in New York, January means audition season. Because it's too cold, so people do auditions for the upcoming shows in summer, you know? So they do the filming in spring, and then they release in summer. Um, so that period, nobody works technically. Only us, these crazy fools from Singapore. I think we didn't expect how cool it was going to be. First day when we were filming, it was like, ah, oh, it's fine, it's just zero. That's normal, it gets normal. Right, it gets you mean zero. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Celsius, Celsius, Celsius. No, no. Okay. Uh, we had to always remind them that, you know, we do Celsius, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> so it's like, it's zero, it's fine, you know, uh, you can get through this. But midway through filming, we had to go through so much. It was the polar vortex, which means it's the coldest 
when you see the news during that period, it was like planes landing in New York, but they couldn't open the door because it was frozen shut. That's how cold it was. Minus 28, minus 30, that kind of thing. And on top of that, um, they had snowstorm Harper happening as well. Yeah. So in the midst of it, I was I still remember it was really really cold, and we didn't want to go outside. But I told the guys we flew so far. This 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 beautiful snow you know falling outside you know I uh, I think I want to film it, but I'm not gonna sit inside the room and look through the monitor. If you guys are gonna go out, I'm gonna go out with you in the cold and we're gonna film it together. If you guys say yes, because I don't want them to do something that they don't want to do, and I said yeah we're gonna do it. So we all trashed out. We don't have a lot of stuff. We had like the motel towels covering. I had a motel towel covering because of the snow and all that. But it was the most beautiful shot. And we had trucks passing by and then they were honking and my group was like, hey, dude, hey. <laughs> they were like, so it's almost like an accident. No, no, it wasn't an accident. Basically, the, the, the I, where he initially was like, oh, these guys are friendly. And so I told my group, I don't think they're friendly. I think they're telling you to get indoors. <laughs> Because it's cold. <laughs> you shouldn't be outside. You freeze your <laughs> off. But, oh, yeah. but, but the snow was nice, I guess. It's a nice, yeah. it's a nice coincidence. I the guess. snow was a nice coincidence. It was nice. Uh, but the next morning when we wanted to go out filming, we can't because the house was buried like with this high. Oh my goodness. So you can't open the door? We can't open the door. When we opened the garage door, we couldn't see outside. The cars were buried deep in snow. Uh, I got photos. And so the first thing that we did was even breakfast, it was shoveling snow. Shoveling snow so that we can get out. And then we couldn't even get out because there's too much snow. We had to call the guy with the like the, the, the snow plow. <laughs> yeah, right. As a producer, I'm thinking like, oh. Overrun, yeah. overrun, oh my god. <laughs> but you know what what I what I think this was when November uh no, January twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen. Filming was in twenty eighteen. Yeah. Oh I see. So this was around the this was also around the time when there was a lot of uh, no, I, I don't mean to get political here, but there's a lot of uh, immigration constraints because of the Trump administration. Oh yes, yes. So Dear and Mr. I think Trump didn't like a lot of people like me. So it kind of and then you walk in this beard as well, and I'm like oh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is one 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 suspicious guy. Even at immigration, I was I knew I was going to be targeted. You knew, mm. you know. And I was being the nicest guy there, you know, at the I struck a conversation, hi there, you know. What were you doing? We're doing some filming. Oh, you do TV. We had this really great conversation. I felt like the guy was warming up to me. And then he said, Code Orange. Oh. <laughs> or something like that. I can't remember what word he used, but he, he said that. Then I was like, then he looked at me and he smiled. I was like, nothing personal. You just know how it is. <laughs> I was like, yep, right, sure. So we spent like a few hours, everyone, beard or no beard, everyone had to spend a few hours at the, at the airport to clear the customs. But after that, it was, it, it was good. You know, um, New York is a great, place, a great place to film because uh, it's a film-friendly city. Mm. So you don't get stopped. You get bothered by, you know, weird, I wouldn't say weird, but characters. Who, yeah, like whenever they see the camera, you get that. <laughs> but other than that, they don't bother you. The police don't bother you oh. and all that. So it was uh, all in all a great period apart from the cola. You needed a permit was when you want to close roads to film. Serious? Serious. So we weren't, we weren't that big. So like, you know, we're not going to close like whatever roads and whatnot. You know, it's just 
there were like 11 of us there were just 11 of us here <laughs> including the actors on, on that note because you're such a small group from Singapore you're not exactly a major uh, production and you were saying that the actors are all not they're all auditioning for you know maybe the next big thing or something. So how do you get any American actors to come and work with you? The, the guys who are acting are really, really good actors. I mean, of all the audition clips, right, I found very few who were bad actors. We were choosing, you know, which one would be best suited for it. It's not like, okay, like we don't have a choice. We have this guy. He it seems like he remembers his line. We'll take him. It's not that, you know. We were like, oh, this guy is really good. Oh, this guy acted in, I cannot remember which, Show he was an extra for ER, extra for ER or something like that. He was big man, uh, he was a really good actor. But we found this guy who was oh he did a few short films. He was Kevin Bacon, yeah, in that Kevin Bacon show. So we were like, okay like, this is perfect like, We're gonna do a show about cults, and this guy was an extra in you know the following, which is also a story about cults. <laughs> He's in, <laughs> and it was the perfect choice. It was great. And then when we were there. You know, some actors actually backed out. Some actors came to set, thought we were an actual cult, reported us to the police. Oh. <laughs> what? Ate, ate my mac and cheese and left, man. Oh, very rude, ah. Huh? <laughs> Basically, that's what he did. He ate the mac and cheese and then he looked at us and was like, I think this is a real cult. He went off, he called the actual police. The police came. I thought the policeman was an extra. It was my extra because we actually had a marshal. <laughs> they was like, who's in charge here? Then I was like, I turned around and gave him this stare, like, who the Why is he in my set? Why is this extra making noise? <laughs> then I was like, talk to my producer, he's inside. So he went in and was like, what did that extra want? Then I was like, that's not an extra, dude. That's what did an extra, extra want? I don't have money for such props, man. Because he had like the, the nice badge and the gun, everything. NYPD. Yeah. It wasn't NYPD, that one was upstate. Yeah. But he was like really, you know, decked out. Like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Uh, we don't have budget. Uh. I was wondering how, how you got the guy to look so realistic. <laughs> Having a cult is not against the law or something. He, he just wanted to check it out. Like, after he found out, he was fine, go ahead and film. And then he walked off. I think they just wanted to make sure that nothing weird, you know, is oh, right. happening. Like you were going to do debauchery on your cast or something. I think so. Because <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the scene, in the, in the show, we actually have a scene where the girl is being branded by a hot iron. It's in the first scene where the guy is actual, you know, we actually we actually have a brand, we put it in the fire and then we actually like So he so girl. he thought you were gonna hurt her or something? Maybe we we didn't shoot that scene yet, but I think after like reading or whatever then he was a bit scared. But you know when the police came I th initially I was a bit angry but after he left we were thinking like okay la, I think we're on the right track. That's what I told the, the <laughs> cast and I think we're on the right track. If the Americans think that we are a cult, we are there. The story is solid. <laughs> Your acting is solid. Uh, it's great that we were filming in New York because, you know, in terms of the the network that the actors had, it was easy. In terms of like filming equipment, uh, we could get it there. You can just rent it there. And like I said, uh, we got it for cheap, the equipment, because nobody was filming at that time. Oh, uh -huh, right. Off right? season. Yeah, it's yeah. off season. So the equipment would be stuck in their warehouse or store somewhere. So they were like, okay, we'll give you like, you know, three jokers, these apertures and these whatever lights and whatnot, 500 bucks for the whole two weeks. You can't get that anywhere else. No way. Yeah, I'm not kidding. So, but on that note, because you're filming in the cold in these conditions, I'm sure your equipment requirements were very different from what 
Yeah, it, we, we filmed with the same equipment that we filmed in Singapore. We were very careful. We were you know, because the camera could only operate. The threshold is minus sixteen, oh. if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the camera threshold. So we knew it couldn't stand the cold. We didn't have a proper like jacket for the camera. So we wrapped it up. We wrapped the battery. We wrapped the camera in blanket and whatnot. But it was so cold. It died. It still died. And every time it died, everyone would like, okay, let's get around. Let's get around, around the, around the <laughs> camera. <laughs> if you got prayers, you can see your prayers. If, if not, I just need your warmth. And then we waited because it was so cold. It was, and I remember that day, remember it was minus 22 and it was already how many degrees below the threshold. I still remember one of these actors, he had a, like a, a shop selling churros. So he has an industrial fridge back home. So basically, he has he has this store, store shop back home and the shop that stores all his like whatever frozen materials and whatnot. And he commented that you know it was so cold that it was minus twenty eight. And he said the the freezer that I have, the industrial freezer that I have back home for my business, goes only to minus twenty two, and this is minus twenty eight. So yeah. do you take it as a like a heater? <laughs> it's better than warm outside. it up <laughs> at a minus 16. The, I, I never thought you'd say this, right? The freezer is warmer than anybody outside. Uh, the freezer, really, we went shopping and then there, it was a crew of 11. It wasn't a crew of 11, there were 11 of us, mm. including crew and talents and whatnot. And obviously, the fridge wouldn't fit. Uh. So the, the lady who, you know, we were staying in this lady's house and she said, just put it in the garage. You don't need a fridge. You don't need a fridge. <laughs> it's that cold. And it, it was frozen. And then for like, you know, raw stuff like chicken and whatnot, we didn't dare put it, you know, in the uh, garage because we were scared that, you know, rice or, uh, not rice, mice or whatever would come. Um. So we actually dug a hole in the snow. And we put like the chicken and the <laughs> french fries and whatever nuggets that we bought and then we buried it in the snow. And like, hopefully the coyote doesn't get it, but you know, and the coyote didn't. It was too, too cold, cold for the coyote. It was too cold for the coyote. So the chicken was like, you know, it was so the best. I mean, the cold really does something to you. Um, it makes it really uncomfortable to shoot. I mean, there was, in one instance, there was a scene where the guy had his hand cut. It was a scene, you know. And the scene, he was supposed to wash off the wound with a bottle of water. So in one take, it was bottle of water, he took off his glove, washed the wound, and then he put it down, and then he has his lines. One take was about two minutes, thereabouts. I cut, and I said, let's go for another take. I'm going to take the close-up of you pouring the water. Then the actor said, uh, uh, bro, I don't think it's possible. Uh. I said, why? <laughs> then he picked up the water, bottle of water. It was frozen on the outside. Already frozen. <laughs> I'm not gonna pour this on my hand. Uh. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> Can we just take that white shot? I was like, okay, okay. So it was bad. that tough. We had to run. We had to like. We couldn't build. Uh, there was no heater in the barn. We were shooting in places like barns. And it was. It was not uh, like a nice apartment. Mm. It was a. It was an old abandoned barn. So there was no way to fix heaters and whatnot. And when the wind came, my basically my grip. Uh, my, uh, the CA, his job was basically incoming because we could hear the wind coming. <sighs> so once he said incoming, we were like all braced because when it hits you, it's really cold. 
And then we had to run out. We set up fires. You know, there was a scene where in this barn we had like this nice fire. I mean, visually it was nice, but it was just to keep us alive. Uh, basically, <laughs> we were freezing, so we just kept burning. It was like, will the owner care if we burn? I, I don't think he cares. Like, let's just burn it. Ah, uh. don't care. Lah. Uh. We need to survive. We need to survive New York. Few more days of shoot. Few more days of shoot. That's basically what we did, man. Uh, so from all these stories that you were telling us about the experience under the production, was there any one moment where you thought, okay, I'm never going to live this down for the rest of my life? I mean, at that time, I was I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking, I need to survive. Firewood. I need to bring, <laughs> yeah, keep the fire burning. I need to I need to bring back my crew in one piece because literally they were falling apart. One one night, my my crew had his. He said he can't feel his feet. Oh, <gasps> can't feel his feet. And when when I looked at it, it was blue. Oh my god! So I carried him. I carried him to to the. Uh, washroom, put carried him over my shoulder, put his feet oh in the God. thing because he can't move. Put his feet onto the sink, then put the tap on hot, and they just let the water flow. I didn't even know I was doing the right thing. It was just, I can you feel your feet now? That was what I kept asking. Can you feel your feet now? Can you feel your feet now? Can you feel your feet now? I was like, I need to send him to the hospital. And the hospital is like one and a half hours away. Can you feel your feet now? <laughs> and then after about a good. Ten minutes thereabouts, he said, "Okay, I can start feeling my feet already." Oh my goodness! So it was that. It was so bad. So at that time, we were thinking of survival. We were thinking of doing a good show. We didn't compromise. We wanted this to look like the coolest we could ever do with this limited budget that we have. You know, with this limited crew. Yes, we did think that, but uh, at the back of our heads, we were thinking of surviving, lah. But. After the whole thing was done, we we looked at it and we were like, I think it's amazing that we actually did that. I think this is pretty cool. I can't believe we actually achieved this. But now that I'm back, I was thinking, I think we can do more. I think we can actually do more. I I. W- I think I want to do cooler stuff. Colder stuff. So, so that's the moment. <laughs> not colder stuff. Cooler stuff. A lot of difference. A lot of difference. So, so that's the moment you cannot live down. Ca- putting feet under hot steaming water. That's a moment that that's got you're thinking. Scary. Yeah. Oh man, you saved his toes, man. We spoke a lot about your the the, the cool film that you made, the kill series mm. that you made. But how about before? What were you doing before? Before. Before, Before you decided no, to, how did you even get this cool anyway? <laughs> <laughs> how did I even get to the cool projects? <laughs> but yeah, before this, I was, I never thought of awards. I never thought of about doing any of the cool stuff. Um, I was always thinking of doing good projects. I I believed in that. Uh, but at that time, the thinking was. I I need to make a living. I need to put food on the table. Whatever jobs are, family oh, struggle. Uh, you know, family <laughs> struggle. Exactly right. Everyone, every freelancer out there would know where I'm coming from. You don't know when your next paycheck is gonna come in. You take whatever job that 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 is given to you. You know. Mm-hmm. So, at that time, I was doing all sorts of like you know um, projects like you know your normal family dramas. And your infos and your documentary and your travel logs and you know, it's fun and nice. And I try to push the boundaries every time I do this, uh, because deep down I know that I can do more. But at the same time, it's I think that that fear of like you know if I don't take up this next project, 
what I'm going to, where am I going to live on? I did pitch for all the normal jobs and whatnot, mm. you know, the normal job. But I had this crazy pitch. Normally, I would have one crazy pitch, and mm -hmm. the the network would say no, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. Mm. Uh, but with this pitch, I really knew I wanted to do it. So when I pitched for it to the network, the network had a lot of comments, you know, a lot of uh, concerns. And rightly so, because um, we are an unknown, a small company mm. um, that's going to New York to film a thriller. Never it's not been before. done before, mm. and it sounds like a crazy, fanciful idea without you know placing too much thought into it. Uh, at that time, I thought I wouldn't get that job, but I remember my final line was this: "I have the idea," and uh, this is what I told the network people: "They had the idea." And I have uh, the resources in terms of you know and the, and the knowledge of how to do this filming in New York, a thriller. You're not gonna get this chance ever again, I think, in the near future. So it's up to you. I know it's a crazy idea, but this is an opportunity. You give me the the money, and I'll get you a 13 episode drama filmed in New York. It's almost YOLO. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to lose. So everyone now knows if you ever want to do a successful pitch, you just need to say, you'll never get a chance like that again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you'll never get a chance like that again. And you know, you're going to win this pitch. <laughs> you can try, like, you can try. But, but you know, what I thought was fun, I mean, rather what I thought was really interesting is that you don't, you, you didn't even come from a media background. Yes. You, you, you never went to the conventional route of going to a media school, film some video at Poly and so on. You went, you did something else. Yeah. So how did that, how, how, what did you do and how did you end up on this path of okay, directing? You have, you, have to, you have to remember that I am a product of my age <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Basically, at that time, I wanted to join MESCOM, but uh, I didn't really know how. We didn't have the technology like the internets and whatnot, and then the open houses. It wasn't really clear. I ended up in, uh, not joining MESCOM. I took chemical engineering. Uh -huh. uh, but deep down, I knew I wanted to write. So after I, I, I finished and gotten my diploma in chemical engineering, I thought, I'm not going to let this go down to waste, especially after like the attachment. Like, I was working in a plastics uh, uh, factory. I was thinking to myself, this is not what I want to do. In 30 years, I'm not going to do this making plastics in this smelly factory. No. No. So that was when I decided to actively make this change. Ah. But I knew the, the path would be very, very, very difficult. And at that time, it was an age where, you know, um, if you want to be a cameraman, you go and be an apprentice to this DOP. If you want to learn how to be a grip, you go and learn, go to sets and learn how to fix lights, yes. get scolding, you know. So I thought, okay, yeah, let's just do that. Uh. Let's just try because I obviously don't have the qualifications. I need to get my foot in the door. So it was then that I took uh, a script writing class. And at that time, I was doing three things. I was working in borders. I worked I work in borders in the night, 7 to, uh, you know, 11 p.m. to 7 in the morning and then after that I would sleep and then after that I would go to work in MediaCorp um, to write to le after learning how to write scripts I, I would go to work 
and then that was what I did lah. Just to learn how to do it, and then I did all sorts of things. I did um, not just writing. After I figured out how to write, I wanted to see how life was on the set, mm. and then there was no easy way to do it, but to become an extra. So I became an extra. Then I became an actor in Chinese drama. That was weird. <laughs> it was weird. I know. I, I you know he he speaks Ch- better Chinese than. Me, I me. speak Chinese <laughs> like I wouldn't say better, but I speak Chinese. It was my second language. How did that happen? That one, uh, that one was a really uncool part of my life, man. <laughs> I was the only Malay boy who took Chinese as a second language. All the Malay boys played soccer. I was studying like Chinese, uh, really not cool. It was bad, man. But yeah, my parents thought learning Chinese would give me an edge. So yeah, that's what I did. So I, from there, I was being on sets. Then I was helping people. Right, and then I was following directors, and then learning. I did a lot of mistakes. I got scolded by the Chinese director. The Chinese channel directors were scary, man. And I memorized this whole chunk of dialogue, and then suddenly on set, the director did like what we do, lah. You know, would take the lines and like this one is too extra, extra. No point saying this. Oh. Let's shift this around. We read this. You know, then you have to memorize that, like. 15 minutes before the scene starts, and then you have to know what you're saying, so you yeah. can act it. Yep, exactly. So I was like, and that scene, I still remember that scene. And I was supposedly the principal, and then there was supposedly an angry parent, and then the angry parent would always smash the table, no, because he's angry. Wait, some more water, hide, boom! And every time he did that, right, I was like in my head, I was like, okay, after this you have to say this, after this you have to say this, after this you have to say this, and then wait, some more. Then I was like, uh, I forgot everything, man. My mind went clean, and then when I hear, "Where's the money? Number bird? Ah, this 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 is not can read. Wow, wow! I was like, oh, bye, 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 Okay, 再来一次，再来一次，可以吗 ？Okay, okay, okay, okay. It was that man. It was bad. Ah, uh, if you want uncool, that was the epitome of uncool. On set, that was bad. How can you be? Don't. How can you not like people and be introvert when you're a director and working in this line? Um, I'm. Uh, I think there's a word for it. I'm not sure, but I think it's a social introvert. I, I'm not saying I hate people, but I prefer the quiet moments when I'm alone, when I'm in my own world. I think being a director, you need to be. You need to have that social part, but when you want to become a writer, you need that. Uh, part where you are introvert, you are an introvert, and you live in your own world, mm. and that's when the stories come. Uh, you know, uh, I guess that that balance is what makes me a writer director. You know, uh, and I think it's important to have those. I I like being. I wouldn't say in the limelight. I like being out and about with people and mm. whatnot. It's, but I also like my own quiet time where I can like. Sit down and enjoy my own company and create this all these stories in my head, and I think that's crucial when I want to write. When you sink in your own world, yeah. now, basically. Yeah, because if I were to talk about the stuff that happens up here, people are going to think I'm nuts, sociopath maybe. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but if it stays in here, then it it will come out in the script. So I think that works out. Not a social butterfly, you know. Not the crazy rich Asian kind of like, my darling, this is so wonderful to me. Yeah, 
you know I, I don't do that I can do that apparently you know quite good at it but I don't want to do that <laughs> why, why do you think then Borders was the place to be back at the time when you were working there? It was an age where there was not a lot of information uh, available freely that's the first thing you know you don't have the internet you don't have smartphones but people are still inquisitive and curious I mean um, they will go to the library same result you still get knowledge but you don't get to see cute people uh. it's like you know every time you go to Orchard Road you watch a movie or you hang out with friends but you know this time around all those introverts and you know, can go to a bookstore in Orchard Road and you know, meet other like-minded people you know get hit on not get hit on I think it's fun because when you talk to people in policy it's very different if, uh, for other bookstores if you ask for a book they'll say oh it's in this aisle this one row number what that's your book but if you go to talk to someone in Borders, you say, I'm looking for this book. Oh, you love this? I know this guy who absolutely loves this author. Let me introduce him to you. And then he'll bring, she, he or she what? will bring you the, Yeah, and then we'll talk, and then we will talk. Talk about the book, and we were encouraged to do that in Borders at that time. And then you have an actual conversation with the person. And then not only talk about that book, but other books as well. Oh. And then from there, the reason why they encourage it is because when they know that you know uh when when sometimes people don't know what they like let's say you like horror or thriller or if you like history mm. then you know they'll come and say hey, this guy loves history you should talk to him and then we talk about history and this and that and then the person with the intention of buying one book would end up buying three a pile of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah because because if he doesn't he will regret it did that shape any way how you are as a director now oh, yes. or in cultists and Definitely, because I tend to pick a lot of uh, things from whichever, you know, either line of work or whoever that I'm interacting with. And, you know, I, I try to pick up little, little things and then I put them in the story. And it goes at the back of my head and then when I'm writing a script or when I'm creating a story, it all comes out. But when you are put with a bunch of, for the lack of a better word, and I mean this in the most endearing way, weirdos, you get a lot of ideas, man. You get, you get a lot of things, and they were talking about unconventional stuff. It's a different language, but it's all information, and it all gets stored in the back. And then from there, all these things become fantastical stories. And you also get exposed to the books. I'm thankful for that. You know, you you read a lot of stuff. It was also at that period where I decided to like, you know, I should try to really pursue uh, this thing that I love, which is writing. You know, and that was when I started learning from uh, MediaCorp. You know, I did this show called Donnie Lee Show. Before that, the concept, the concept for the show was that it's like a Muppet show but with live people, <laughs> and Hosen Leong is gonna be Kermit. And I was like, okay, clear, I, I got it. I'll, I'll it. <laughs> so was that the first show you ever wrote? Uh, yes, that was the first show, and they let me write one script. What I miss most is the writers room. At that time, I didn't miss it. Uh. Going to the writer's room means uh, if you want to talk about uncool, that's uncool. Uh. Basically, you go in with this script and then you're really proud of it and you think this is the best thing I've written ever. Yeah, it gets torn to shreds. When you go into that room, I wasn't prepared the first time. Go in, everyone reads the thing and then everyone's like, no, this doesn't work. This is stupid. How about this line? And then it gets torn to shreds, really, whatever. It's like your baby is like, no, ugly, cut. Ugly, this, that, yeah. and basically, like, uh, 
but that's also quite fun, isn't it? Because everyone goes in with the objective of trying to make a better episode or better show. The first time when I went into it, I wasn't mentally prepared. I didn't know what a writer's room was, and it was was sad. Uh. It was really, you know, the dejection that you felt. But after that, you realize when you retype the script, right? Based on the the feedback that they've given you, you realize that it's better. It makes so right. much sense, yeah. and this guy would be, you know, would, is so brilliant with some of the writers are so brilliant with, like the quips and the lines and all that, yeah. and it's things that you don't think of. So when 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 you rewrite your script, and then you realize, hey, this is a lot better. This is seriously a lot better. And so after that, I realized that when you become a writer or in life, basically, sometimes you just have to chuck your ego aside, chuck your ego aside, go in. And then get prepared to like be slammed or whatever because right. if they slam you for the right intentions, you know because at the end of the day everyone's intention is I want to make sure that that thing is better, mm. so that whatever that comes out is is uh, is interesting, you know it's worth watching. So if you go in with that mindset, you know it will the uh, and actively go in and not be so defensive because sometimes these days uh, some writers are very defensive about mm. their, their script mm. you know they go in like no 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 you don't understand where I'm going with this I'm going to then you build up walls and you prevent people from breaking it down your stories don't get better a lot of uh, people don't have that benefit these days they know how to tell a story and it's there it's like everything is there yeah. but with the benefit of structure, that whole storytelling would be much stronger. Yeah. So with different people with different uh, skill sets, um, it will definitely improve your script. With Kultus, I didn't have that luxury, so I have to play that multiple personality in my head. La. One person <laughs> is doing story structure, one person is telling you the six schizophrenic experience. Uh, somebody was saying, no, this is stupid. No, this is not bad. I think I can but make it. No, you're stupid. It's like, yeah, I'm stupid. You know, that kind of thing. Then you write. La. But you followed through the same rules of but, structure. But the, 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 same rules, the same rules of structure and setup and all that. So, Mahfuz, mm -hmm. from chemical engineering, mm -hmm. you moved on to... Uh, going to media corp, going to screenwriting, going to um, being an extra mm. <laughs> and uh, being a little elf in borders. Mm -hmm. That was your uncool period. So what do you think, looking back now, would you say to your uncool self? Engineering pays better, go stick to engineering, go work with Elon Musk, make your money. Okay, But, but if you really, really want to do TV or film, you know, then yeah, get one foot in the door, try to do something. If you want to write, then write. If you want to direct, then learn how to direct. Start doing stuff, mm. you know. If you want learn to want to write, then do. Do a short film, do a simple film with your handphone, doesn't matter. Okay. Go and participate in competitions and then improve. Just you're try not, you're not, the, 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 the thing is, you're not going to be great at your first try. You're gonna watch that thing and you're gonna think, oh, this is the most awesome thing I've done. It's not, you know, and and you have to understand that. But you cannot stop, and you have to keep on trying, and eventually it will be great. So, Mafusi, if people want to find out more about you and your work, uh, where can they follow you on social? Hey, I am on the socials, you know, uh, IG, FB. Uh, search for Big Foos, uh, like Bigfoot, but you know, Foos because of my name. Thanks for listening and thank you to Mafus for being our guest. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to The Uncool or rate us 5 stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Just search for Freelance Creative Exchange and you can find more episodes of The Uncool or others in our series. And then you click follow. Also, share with us and celebrate the uncool moments by going to any social media platforms and using the hashtag FCEUncool. We want to hear from you and remember, it's cool to be uncool. <laughs>